Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. I'm Mike Bowden, the still head of Intermodal Solutions here and joined by uh, Joanna Marsh, a writer who does the editorial um, writing on the railroad industry. Joanna, you're back from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, back from, uh, it, I was actually, uh, it was nice. The weather, I'm talking about the weather. It, it was, uh, <laughs> that, 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 that's a conference. Almost all this day. <laughs> It was actually late. It was it was cold. It was weird because you don't. Know, it's like it's hot, cold, hot, cold, and then and then like there were two days where it barely hit sixty, and so um, yeah, <laughs> trying to get used to that. But then like coming back here and then having to get because I live um, outside of Washington D.C. and it's you know Washington D.C. summers. It's not hot, hot yet, but it's getting there. So it's you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's hot, hot here in Dallas. Um, so uh, so so great. So you went to. The conference in Chicago. This is the NARS conference, the North American Rail Shippers Conference, which I've been to that in the past uh, when I was a stock analyst doing research. And it's always a good conference. Um, maybe I'll just start by asking you: Did anything surprise you? Because you're so plugged into the industry. Did you hear anything that was just in, outside you know, of your I, I was thinking about like the various things to, to talk about before this, and I was realizing that um, for better or for worse, like I. I, I'm trying to to separate like what I had heard from from other things I had been writing about. So, um, so I guess that's sort of a long winded way of saying um, there wasn't really anything um, that that broke that you know that news breaking you know um, in terms of like what was uh, discussed by the the speakers and people at the conference, the North American Rail Shippers Conference, um, which is uh, I guess to you know for the sake of defining it um it's it's an annual conference the the national one and then they have um uh, regional chapters as well so you have um a chapter for the midwest that meets um biannually i think all the chapters meet biannually um one for the northeast one for the southeast one for the southwest um i in ideal world would be fun to travel to to all of them but um but uh, with scheduling and, and budget constraints, <laughs> I have to pick like one or two. So, um, so since I, I haven't been to the to the to the main one um, in Chicago, I, I went to that one last week. So that was um, what was it now? It was uh, um, two to three days, um, and uh, I was trying to think who who was there. It was uh, so it's rail shippers, but you know, and I was looking at the attendance list. It, it's not. I feel like it's 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 a combination of like like one third to maybe under one half rail shippers, one third uh, of um, of uh, say vendors, but you know people who 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 support the, the the rail industry, whether it's through like tech, technology products or logistics services or something like that, and then like a one third of um, of those coming from the railroads, so. That's how I gather the makeup of, of of this year's conference. I don't know if it's been different in past years, but that's what I observed last week. So I'm not sure if Mike is frozen. He might be. <laughs> he might be frozen. Some. I, I know he's been having some internet issues lately. So Mike, whenever um whenever you uh come online, please do give a shout out. But let me see. I'm trying to think of some um some of the themes that uh some of the takeaways that had happened um let me see so you know i 
It was interesting because, you know, you the, the conferences, you know, build as a rail shippers conference, but then, um, and so obviously um, the, the question of, of rail service um, uh, is something on everyone's mind. And uh, so a lot of the speakers were those um, from uh, several class one railroad spoke, um, CEOs of class one railroad spoke as well as um as those representing um, the short line industry, um, as well as um, uh, analysts and 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 researchers who um, who look at um, uh, economic data and um, and just sort of like trying to to gauge trends. So, um, I think, well, Mike, are you back? I'm back. Yeah, I'm back. Um, <laughs> I think he dropped me or something. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. So I was just kind of talking about just, uh, and I hadn't really gone very far, honestly. Um, just kind of like I was going to start um, launching off into um, to, to rail service, and um, and uh, I, I think um, if you want to if you want to give me a question, it's fine because otherwise I'm going to keep rambling. <laughs> but, yeah, so I guess uh, with, with rail service, you know, rail traffic is down overall. I mean, a lot of that's intermodal has been down. The commodities are kind of mixed. It sounds like from what you're writing about the railroad, the rail shippers are still complaining about service. You have, you know, like you talked about the, some of the coal companies saying, well, service is really bad. We can't export the, the coal. I mean, any sort of interesting anecdotes that you heard from shippers at the conference about rail service specifically? And is it still as bad as it was the last couple of years? Or has it gotten better with a decline in volume and with an increase in the labor force? Yeah. So... On one hand, and this isn't just the conference, but it's just kind of just overall observations uh, about what's been happening lately. Like on, on one hand, I, I feel like shippers are saying that that rail service has improved. Um, on the other hand, I think there's still a prevailing sentiment where um, people are still kind of waiting. Sort of the proof is in the pudding. Okay, so... Um, you say that you know rail service has you know the, you know the the service metrics have have improved a little bit, but like you know how how long uh, will it last? And um, and I think one of the other things, kind of stepping you know pulling stepping further back on the rail service issue, is there's a sentiment that you know change is in the air, and uh, and and actually you know. Uh, I think um, Union Pacific CEO Lance Rich, Fritz mentioned it. Um, uh, Joe Hinrich's of the the CSX the CSX CEO had mentioned that as well, and I think some other people did as well. Um, and I think among all the stakeholders, th th there is a sense of change brewing. But the question is, um, how much of this change is is cyclical? Um, like you know. <laughs> you know, changes are going to happen, you know, how much of that will, you know, how much of that is just kind of a repeat of, of, of what's been said so many years ago and how much of that, um, is, uh, is actual change. And so, um, and, you know, and, and service is related to that, you know, um, obviously a service, uh, can have that tendency to be cyclical as well. And so I think people are still kind of, um, I think, especially for shippers, I think you're still not totally convinced yet that that things are on the mend, but perhaps you know, perhaps better than last year. So, 
Yeah, and I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I, I guess the, the the volume could always come roaring back, and then you could have the same service disruptions. I mean, the rails have blamed so much of the service issues on the labor availability. You know, the the railroads are you know you've talked you know at great lengths about um, the railroads adding sick days. You know, Union Pacific is ha- now has a, a scheduling program for locomotive engineers: eleven days on, four days off. They're also talking about backing off the the traditional practice of furloughing workers. Which is one reason why you wouldn't work for a railroad is if you're going to get furloughed as soon as the volumes trend down. Uh, so you think all those things would go in the direction of getting more people in the industry, having more people staying in the industry. But is it just, are they talking a good game right now? And then, you know, when there's maybe a, a, a different STB or just these issues aren't right at the forefront, that they go back to the traditional practices i mean I, I that's that's sort of the the, the, the sense i'd get is, is is maybe that's the question yeah yeah and and i would agree with that i i think you know there, there was a q a after each um session and i think one of the one of the consistent q questions that came up was uh, you know if rail surface i'm sorry if rail volumes uh you know, do go back to more normal levels, or if they, you know, if they if they grow, um, will the railroads be able to handle that? Um, yeah. Of course, uh, when I, the railroads were asked that question, you know, the answer was, of course we will. You know, we we have the crews, we have the power. You know, or we we have the power, we will have the crews. Um, but you know, like as you know, as as we've both mentioned, you know, sort of the proof is in the pudding in terms of um, whether that that will. Um, actually happen. Um, I think there's been a de-emphasis on, on furloughing. Um, uh, you know, Norfolk Southern mentioned that they weren't, won't be furloughing. I, I, I feel like there was another, there was another class one railroad yeah. that mentioned that. I'm yeah. sorry? C- CM. Yeah, Canadian C- National. C- so, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that's interesting. That's interesting too, right? Because mm-hmm. if they don't do those furloughs, well, then how do you manage the resources it to scale with the volume because they want to keep the margins consistent, can, you know, can, can OR consistently low. And if they, you know, don't flex that workforce down, then their margins will um, be much more volatile. And then you get in a situation where if, if one classroom railroad doesn't do that, they have the worst OR in the industry, then the activists will come in and kick out the management team. So it, it's, it's a little bit of sort of how do you, how do you scale that workforce if you're not going to do furloughs? And, and I haven't really, you know, heard of a, a good, um, you know, solution for that yet. I don't know if you have. Right. Well, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I also wonder too if it's if it's because the railroads aren't in that position necessarily. I mean, even though, you know, theoretically volumes could could improve um, later this year, um, I think for the most part, a lot of them are, are still saying that they're. That they're actively searching um, for for more employees, if not necessarily like all, all around, but in, at least in, in certain spots of their network. Um, and I was kind of looking yeah. at my notes. It, it actually um, BNF BNSF Katie Farmer was also one who said that um, the traditional model of furloughing um, um, might not work um, as it had in the past. And so, uh, you know, we will need to lean in, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, as you mentioned, uh, what, you know, what that will look like. So, yeah, I mean, you do bring up a good point. I mean, 
when the railroads don't have enough workers now, it's really easy to say, well, there's going to be no furloughs. Well, sure, there's you have a shortage of workers, um, but you might not have a shortage of workers, you know, f- forever. Um, I also want to ask you, I mean, did you hear anything at the conference about reciprocal switching? Because that's something that's come up repeatedly on this show. And even in some of the articles you wrote, like you, you think you you quoted Marty Oberman. Um, one thing I, I wrote in there was that Marty Oberman said, the chairman of, S- S- of the Service Transportation Board, he said the service, uh, reciprocal switching is now at the top of his agenda. Um, you know, that we heard from the American Chemistry Council, the big, you know, shipper um, group that, you know, we asked them what the one thing they'd like to see change in Washington, D.C. They said they'd like to see reciprocal switching. Did you hear anything about that at the, at the, at the conference? Not so much, but that isn't to say that, you know, that that wasn't um, that wasn't in the back of people's minds. Um, I, I think I, I think sort of the the I, I think those sort of uh, I don't say meteor, I can't think of the right word, but, you know, those the, those proceedings before the STB that might be a little bit more technical or in, you know, like reciprocal switching, like what is that exactly? Because you know, then you have to define what that is, um, you know, and final, co- what is it, final offer rate review and then all those other things. I think those still are on shippers' minds, but it just wasn't really um, talked about as much at, at this conference. What I thought was interesting was... Um, and maybe this is, you know, this is maybe an obvious thing, but like, uh, you know, given that the audience was, uh, was rail shippers, um, that, uh, that a number of the class one CEOs, um, talked at length about rail safety, um, which I suppose on one hand, of, of course, it's the topic that you would talk about it because there's just been so much, um, national attention towards it, um, uh, but on the other hand, since it's, you know, since it was a conference geared towards people within the industry, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I maybe perhaps talking about real safety was just sort of more like <laughs> this is me opining now, but like, you know, like an affirmation of, of, of what um, the industry is doing or, or, or what, um, you know, how it how it feels like its response has been. And, and when I say that, I, I, I had actually, there's a, there's a new article out now on Freightways um, that I posted today talking about the rail sif- safety issue um, at, uh, at, at NARS and, uh, and how that's kind of, I guess there, there was a lot of talk about how um, the industry uh, worked with, um, worked with, uh, congressional staff on on developing the bill, um, so that um, so that it addresses um, the so that it has points in it that that the industry um, uh, feels you know can, can bolster uh, rail safety. And is all the stuff about rail safety about things like moving hazardous materials and things sort of in direct response to the East Palestine? Because the other issue that's coming to the forefront is train lengths and blocking, um, you know, grade crossings, which seems to me to be the much bigger issue than even the East Palestine um, derailment. I mean, East Palestine it was a news story that was got to be so huge because created a big black cloud as they um, burned off chemicals, and you could take a picture of the cloud from an airplane and post it on social media, and people did that, but. Um, Really, the, the the bigger issue is these these long trains. 
that have been um, preventing first responders and ambulances from reaching their destinations. There was an article in the Washington Post, and for anyone who hasn't um, read it, I can I can quickly summarize it. Is there was a rural town, eighty miles north of Houston, blo- blocked by trains, sort of rural community, can only get in and out sort of one way, and these trains have really impaired um, not only people's quality of life but the, the safety. And there was a baby that that died because, um, at least the, it, uh, supposedly, it died because ambulance couldn't get in and out, train blocking it. That seems to be the bigger issue than chemicals spilled in East Palestine, Ohio. And, and so is, is there, is there any um, discussion on that safety about things like reducing the train lengths, not, you know, blocking roadways? You know, there, there was discussion about it. Um, but to be, maybe this is just my, my memory acting, but to be honest, I, I feel like a lot of the rail safety discussion, you know, besides the rail safety bill, um, was the discussion over um, train crew sizes and, and two-person crews and and the deployment of technology, I guess, as um, in, in relation to that. Um, I guess with the idea that, not necessarily with, with train crew sizes, although there is that issue, but like the, I think they're, from the railroads there at the conference, there is still a lot of talk about um, having the ability to uh, deploy technology in such a way that might, you know, that, that, that makes operations safer, safer, you know, just like, like, um, like the, the um, automated track and inspection um, being able to continue with that and to expand those programs um, uh, with, the unions have argued, um, on one hand, they support the technology, but on the other hand, not at the expense of their jobs. And so there was still, I feel like there was, that was still a lot of the discussion on, on rail safety at this particular conference. But I, but I do what you're talking about, though, about, about train lengths. Um, and I think uh, it'll, you know, there, there was that ProPublica article, I think, from several weeks ago that that got sort of that that brought that attention um or that that brought that issue to sort of national attention and but as as people have mentioned before it's it's not a new issue actually the um when the surface transportation board held um its public hearing on the canadian pacific kansas city southern merger um in late september and early october um there were some officials that came in from the houston area that we're talking about locked crossings, actually, and um, and and you know their concern, of course, with the merger that you would uh, that that those block crossings were continuing, and then I think there's also you know story one one Houston official was you know relating the story about like the school children having to cross over the you know crossing crossing over the trains of a block crossing, which I think the ProPublica article like had pictures of, um, mm-hmm. and so. Um, so I, I feel like, as you mentioned, you know, the train lengths issue um, makes it is easier to um, relate to a national audience. Um, I, 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 I've, and and the industry, you know, is still looking at train lengths, but right now they're still at the conference. They are still so focused on um, on the role of sort of technology in future rail operations, and then that tension with, you know, sort of what will craft employees roles be after um you know those tech you know all, all that technology um uh is deployed 
Gotcha. Yeah, it makes such a big difference that um, the labor is organized. You, you do wonder if, if some of those advancements would, would take place at a much, much faster rate if the labor was not organized like it is for so many other um, industries. Um, you want to move on to uh, some of the articles you wrote on intermodal um, expansion of intermodal service. Uh, you did one article on, um, you know, both uh, Union Pacific and then also uh, Burlington Northern, Santa Fe, expanding service out of the port of, of, of Houston. We have a sonar chart, um, you know, showing the outbound volume from the port of Houston. Um, that's actually the rail car loads uh, versus um, labor employment. That's the one that's uh, that's on Houston. So it's basically what this shows is, is it from a company that processes waybills, we have volume um, from Houston to these various destinations. And this is a service that's going to be expanded uh, outbound of Houston to LA, which is the white line. So that's actually um, the, the volume over the past couple of years has, has, has declined uh, there. But um, you think maybe that could rebound with, with added service levels. And then, and then also they're expanding service to some of those other uh, locations, um, Houston to Denver, Salt Lake, El Paso, and Oakland, which don't have more than, let's say, 25 containers uh, moving in them a day. And that's for the densest uh, lane, um, you know, Oakland. Uh, so what can you tell us about this expansion of these intermodal service offerings? Yeah, it's, I, you know, I thought it was interesting because on one hand, you know, I think you have several different things going on and, you know, um, why are all these <laughs> intermodal service offerings expanding? Um, and I guess, you know, the, the answer to that question may be multiple things. Um, one, of course, is you have uh, that, um, that that uh, that push to diversify, you know, where you uh, bring bring stuff, uh, imports um, into the United States. You know, I mean, of course, you know, the you have the the, the West Coast still being a you know the dominant uh, uh, area, but then you know the Gulf Coast too and the East Coast. So you know, you have that that Gulf Coast uh, interest in, in in moving things through the Gulf Coast. But then, of course, you have um, the, the 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 CPKC, the Canadian Pacific, Kansas City Southern. Merger and and how um, that might impact um, uh, flows, uh, you know, through the Midwest and the Gulf Coast and and in in and out of Mexico, and then of course you also have the the Surface Transportation Board and this is kind of regulators looking at at, at rail service and and um, whether um, <laughs> the railroads are doing enough to to um, to um, uh, ensure competition. So. Um, so I just thought, yeah, it's kind of interesting how they're all kind of bunched up together. I don't know if it's coincidental or or if it's uh, in response to any of those three factors. So, yeah, I think it's all those things, and and maybe even more factors. I mean, I would add the just the you know you have more volume going from Houston West, sort of reduces the need to reposition containers, you know, back to the West Coast, improves the container balance, um, so that can actually increase the container turns. So I think that's a, a pretty um, you know compelling uh, argument there. And then the other thing has just been the growth uh, in in imports at the port of Houston. Um, it's one of the, the the ports that's been growing. Have a sonar chart on that that shows um, customs uh, maritime import TEUs that's grown over the past few years. Um, if we can get that up, so so you see it in, in the the furthest line to the right is 2023, and you do see 2023 is down um, in terms of import TEUs versus 2022, but I think the general pattern, you know, taking away some of the the cyclicality, is up and to the right at the at the port of Houston. I mean, like you said, the shippers want to diversify their port of entry. 
um, just to have more, um, you know, options, they, they, you know, sort of still fresh in their mind, all that congestion at the uh, ports of LA and Long Beach, that those workers there are still working without a contract in the ILWU. So they do want to, you know, diversify those, those things. And there's been a lot of investments in uh, various ports outside of LA and, and, and sort of the outlook is the, the cost to do business in Southern California is only going to increase. I mean, they're talking about having those trucks be all electric, um, you know, very shortly, at least for, for newly purchased uh, trucks. Uh, so that, that seems to, to, to be a growing area for intermodal, um, you know, really for, for, for the, 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 the extended future. Yeah, yeah, that that's a that's a really neat sort of chart that you that you have there. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, so let me see. I guess what do we? Um, I'm trying to think about what we're <laughs> trying to segue into what we're going to talk about next week. Um, I guess you know I should also mention you know if if anyone uh, you know would would like to uh, you know to to come on to people speaking rail um, you know we can. Uh, you know, just uh, please do connect with us, you know, and we can see um, uh, whether, you know, whether uh, we can, you know, arrange a time for that to happen, because it, it's nice to get those perspectives uh, from from uh, those in the industry as well. Yeah, that's that, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, we've had um, AAR on so far to get the railroad's perspective. We had the, the American Chemistry Council to get the shipper's perspective. We've had Dan Elliott on, the former chairman of the Surface Transportation Board, to get someone from the basically former government um, perspective. But but now he works on behalf of, of of shippers. I mean, maybe we need to get someone um, to, to give us the the, the labor perspective. Um, we've had people on giving us sort of a from the equipment um, and, and and safety perspective as well. So that's a really good point. And in the interim, uh, go sign up for the the Freight Waves um, Railroad newsletter at www.freightwaves.com/slash subscribe. And hope everyone has a great day.